So let me begin with a, a basic question. Are you afraid of the dark? Does it make you a little nervous? Are you afraid of the dark, of the things that go bump in the night? My children have had to learn not to go bump in the night anywhere near me because I will jump easily. It is understandable that we might be wary, nervous, even a little afraid of the dark. We have good long-term in our bodies, in our human experience, reason to be concerned when we cannot perceive what we need to know about the world around us, what might be obscured because of all that might be a hazard, a danger, a concern. Whether that could be some... Uh, you know, way back when some, some creature coming at us or simply making sure that we don't hurt ourselves in the course of moving. There are so many reasons why, <clears throat> excuse me, that it would be understandable that we, would, that we might associate dark and night with, with fear, with danger, with caution. But I'm also reminded of the range. I love the, the, both the story today and the reading from a retired religious educator, Jackie James, reminding us of the breadth of experience with the dark, with night, with darkness, and how valuable that can be, how dynamic, how wondrous. In our theme of wonder, it's been a joy to kind of spend some real time with darkness this month. I'm also reminded that there are many more associations and meanings with the night and with dark than maybe any one of us can contain. I am reminded that the night can be liberation. I think that's partially why great dance parties happen at night, right? Maybe we don't necessarily can feel a little more secure and not being fully seen and so we can let loose. Yes. Hallelujah. But also, for those who are, say, incarcerated, uh, institutions such as that can have lots of lights on all the time, even at night. For those who might be incarcerated, the light might never go away. And I heard a story of someone who had been incarcerated and then uh, uh, released, completed that sentence and back to their own home and space. And that for them, for them, night and dark was in fact freedom, was in fact truly liberating. It was a night that is true night. It is a particular and precious freedom. Has there been moments as we're contemplating darkness, have there been moments in your life when you've really cherished, relished, savored darkness, enjoyed it with one's full body, 
I have one that's a rare, that's been a rare treat in my life at various times. When I'm uh, staying in the house where I grew up, uh, where my father still lives, a small town, uh, suburban, lots of woods, and there is a state park there that I've been to goodness knows how many times. I really know the land of it. And so on a clear and mild night, usually in the summer, but not always, I might drive out to the park, uh, park in the parking lot, all in darkness, but when there's a full moon, and walk to the top of the field there, and going over a stone wall and walking through the field on the way, and simply at the top of that hill, taking in the vast dome of blackness there is to see. There certainly are lights from people's houses. I can almost see the, the kind of the shimmer of the city that's not too far away. But really, the vastness of that dome. It is a window into the cosmos itself and the deep, deep night that is all through our galaxy, all through our universe. It is a way to be immersed in the scope of existence. And, and we have this powerful draw towards light, towards white, towards brightness. This too is understandable because we can see uh, light is a great symbol of life. The, the spark of flame, the flame that might cook our food and keep us warm and keep us safe. By all means, that is a powerful symbol and reality as well. And here we are in this holiday season. Uh, I love that we're in full, like, no clouds, blue sky today while I'm talking about darkness. But this is good. This is good. Because we love the sunny day. Amen, right? Amen. And here we are. One of the most powerful combinations of images in Christmas, uh, for example, is that association with light and cheerfulness light and joy, light and abundance, light and generosity. And yet we still have this complication uh, with pictures. Um, one of the, one, some of the many ways I was thinking about this, the many ways uh, that Jesus, the little baby Jesus, is pictured as this blonde, blue-eyed baby. Jesus was not a blonde, blue-eyed baby. But we have this culturally, have cultivated a strong association there. But that's not only about one way that a holy child might look. But there's such a strong legacy of creating that and reinforcing that image again and again. I so appreciate Jackie James's piece on dark and light talking about how our images, our very language shapes our world, that we interpret our world because of the words we choose, the words we hear, and the words we choose to hold dear again and again. 
it is so unfortunate that part of the result of this in conflating darkness with danger, night with risk, is that we end up conflating human beings themselves with dark and dangerous. You know, in the centuries of white Europeans dominating this country, uh, this continent, in fact, there's been so much reinforcement of the association of whiteness with purity and power and goodness and virtue, and so much association with blackness, with caution and danger and wildness. One of the places I really learned about that impact of dark and race in our society was my colleague, the Reverend Carlton Smith, uh, who was a black gay minister from the South. And in the days after the 2016 election, many of us participated in a leadership development retreat in Texas. It had already been scheduled, but we followed through on it. Um, and his particular piece focused on anti-blackness and colorism. He led us into a deeper dive on how African Americans are perceived in this country and the strength of that association between white and good and black and bad, and how even a bit of black results in an absolute identification with negative and black and the exclusion from being known as white. He talked about how anti-blackness can be understood as a foundation from which further layers of bias rises against folks who are brown and yellow and red. You know, one of the more modern examples uh, in, in, in waves of immigration is the... Um, the tanned skin and the black curly hair of Southern Italians, for example, that was a justification for discrimination up until the 20th century. We also uh, know that women uh, tried to preserve a certain class status uh, and keep covered and not get a tan so they could show that they don't have to work. And that certainly remained true up into the 20th century until like everybody seems to want a tan Goodness knows why. Until tanning was associated with health. You know, these things can change. But how many centuries do we have in our collective history of uh, ways for people to bleach their skin for all kinds of reasons? It also shows up in anti-Semitism. If we're recognizing that this evening is the first night of Hanukkah, I want to recognize that uh, how this shows up in anti-Semitism, that the image of the dark-haired Jew is malicious, self-serving, plotting. And it still appears in our language and imagery today. So this connection between darkness and with a doubting about one's worth and with evil and whether someone is regarded as human at all. It shows up in our language and it has impact. And our task is to be aware of that and to determine when to shift that and make some other choices. I mean, as a faith, we do well to be reflective, uh, so to speak, of, of our valuing the image of light. And we have this flaming chalice, right? 
I mean, just that. We call it a beacon that represents a spark of life uh, associated with good and hope and safety. I mean, it was an intentional, specific choice to use a flaming chalice by the Unitarian Service Committee in World War, I, World War II because that symbol added legitimacy and authority, like the Red Cross of the Red Cross. And people were using that beacon as a way to save as many people as possible from the Nazis. So what we get to be is mindful and caution ourselves against idealizing and focusing on light as good and virtuous and darkness is only connected with danger and risk. At this time of year, I so appreciate our earth-centered traditions because they offer a broader perspective um, that in our traditions of what, honoring the winter solstice, we get to really delve into the dark and be present with it and waiting in the dark, recognizing that the passage of time doesn't go any, far, doesn't go any faster because we want it to. I love the part of the pageant story from last week that there are, part, I'll give you the end if you weren't here last week, it's okay, it's a spoiler, that what was, rec what was decided was that there would in fact be times when the night would be longer because there are times when those creatures who love and live at night love and thrive in the night and they would get a little bit more time at certain times of the year. The teacher and author Starhawk in her book, Dreaming the Dark, offers this. Beware of organizations that proclaim their devotion to the light without embracing bowing to the dark. For when they idealize half the world, they must devalue the rest. There's a caution. If we idealize one part, what are we saying about the rest? And where we get in trouble is when we're denying the power of the dark and only focus on the, on the light and not only half of the reality. By omission, not make meaning out of dark and night and resulting which can deny the dark in the end. And how that denial of the value of the dark truly has an impact on human beings. Because it can, in fact, devalue and even dehumanize those who are of the many hues that we are in the world. What I appreciate about uh, the story is how it just dives into the one about where God is like the dark, where you have this conversation between a child and the darkness and explores, recognizes and honors the fears and sometimes the challenges of it, of being in the dark as a, as a single human being, whatever size we are, whatever shape. But it can be this conversation between each one of us and the vastness of all that is. And to be, bring those powers together in the darkness and the light is a both and an all. So let us take this moment and meet the dark and the night when it comes and be in it. My colleague, uh, Jason Cook, kind of brings together 
the dark and the light in his reflection about Hanukkah for to this year. He says, the Hanukkah flame, one that lasts beyond our expectations, is representative of the enduring force of love at humanity's center. He says, this isn't a sappy hallmark card of love or the first fire of romantic attraction. He said, this love, this light, is something that endures, is as tough as nails when it needs to be, and in turn as vulnerable as it needs to be. Love is something that rises against any anti-Semitism and hate and bigotry of any kind and points the way toward truth and reason when people are otherwise lost and distracted. Thus, he says, the opposite of light we talk about during Hanukkah is not dark. Dark can be and often is good. In the dark, we can rest. In the dark, we reflect and think. In the dark, senses beyond our sight are heightened. In the dark, we can feel like we're wrapped in the darkness of space itself, of which we are a part, connected to the larger universe of planets and stars and questions beyond our understanding. He says, darkness is not the opposite of the Hanukkah light. The opposite of that light is despair. Despair is what fights against the light of love. It sometimes is at the root of hate, but despair also is what hate tries to invoke in us. It is that we we must resist most within ourselves. So if we turn away from despair and light our love lamps, Say, if I love, I cannot despair. If I love, I keep the lamp lit, not just for myself, but for others. To speak of light, to speak of dart and night may in fact be a metaphor for despair because that helps capture the power of that feeling. And to acknowledge in darkness our heartbreak and depression and dislocation and lostness, this too is powerful and useful. What we can give ourselves the gift of is the range of naming, is the range of sitting in all the ways that dark and light interact. For so for this season, let us choose the dark and all of its gifts, all of its opportunities knowing that we do not need to be alone in this as well. So in this season where the universe is both close and distant, as we gaze, some of us gaze upon the star of Bethlehem in the story of Christmas, for example, may we embrace the vastness of the darkness of that dome of the universe around us. Learn the lessons of the night and go forward committed to recognizing and cherishing the fullness of our language and our being and the impact of which how we understand and shape and declare the world. Let us go forth in the beauty of this dark. Amen.